Hello survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 53 and in this edition we are entering yet another part of the Biohazard multiverse as we take our first look at Wildstorm's Resident Evil in our debut edition of Comic Club. My name is Sai and joining me on the panel this week, once bitten by a radioactive avian, it's Moist Owlet aka James. Hello. Wham! Pow! And a utility belt full of dice from Steamforge Games, it's Sherwin Matthews. I'm on a podcast? <laughs> and a superpowered being from another world. His true origin, the faraway land of the English Midlands, it's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hello! Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited, and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find the link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for a full list and the chance to create bonus First Aid Spray content. This episode of First Aid Spray is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FASPRAYPOD at manscaped.com. We want to thank Manscaped for sending out this package to us to try try out. Uh, It has completely blown my mind first of all the packaging's amazing you get this beautiful bag that it just looks really nice and professional but that just extends to everything that you get as well the the lawnmower trimmer which is charged wirelessly is just this beautiful small ergonomic design it's super smooth it's super soft it's really easy to use and what makes it even better is it has this little light on it as well so which i i blew my mind i didn't think that was a thing that i needed and absolutely can't go back without it and the same thing goes for the weed whacker as well that you get in there for trimming your nose hairs take seconds just boom boom done no have to worry about it so it's a beautiful piece of kit and then after you've like handled all your bits, uh, I wouldn't recommend putting this stuff up your nose though. But after you've been <laughs> handling your jewels, uh, use the crop preserver, which is um, an after bath shower deodorant. It's also a little bit of a moisturizer, so your fellas are all nice and soft. And you know, also it makes it all soft down there, so it's not all stubbly after the lawnmower 4.0. And then throughout the day, you can use your crop reviver. Uh, which is a ball tone, and I'm not precisely sure what that means, right? But it does make my balls feel good, so that's all that matters. And also, it's a it's, it's just like a quick fra- fragrance, like a perfume. Um, and then to bring it all together, you got your boxer briefs to pit, pit your fellas in. Um, they are some of the softest boxer briefs I have ever had. Um, very very comfortable uh, to have on, um, and I can't wait to wear them again. To be honest, they're in the wash at the moment. <laughs> Amazing! It just goes to show the quality of all their products. If we were also being like, and also the boxer briefs are great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole package is super worthwhile. Uh, you can get twenty percent off and free shipping with the code FA Spray Pod at Manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using the code FA Spray Pod. Unlock your confidence and all always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So, shout outs at the top of the show to some new Patreon. Uh, long-time Discord server member, K Lovechild, thank you. And thank you to the wonderfully named Super Nintendo Chalmers. 
love that one um yes very much appreciated to these two people and our patrons in general for continuing to support first aid spray we have hit quite a few social goals and are close to hitting more so we're creating a little bit of a backlog on bonus content to come so that's exciting currently a brand new episode of now that's what i call survival horror is patreon exclusive the first time we've covered a game that isn't in the resident evil series steve sat down with his 10 favorite tracks from parasite eve which was a really good time um, in fact if you've never played the original game which is entirely possible because it wasn't released in europe for example uh, i would recommend listening to this regardless it's actually one of my favorite things that we've done this year so far so a big recommend on that one over on the public side of things, we have a, a new episode of Tear Death Experience came out recently. Steve, James and Berger ranked all of Jill Valentine's, out Jill Valentine's outfits from S rank down to D rank. So go and see where your favourite Jill look ranks. And we also have dropped quite a few things this month on the podcast feed and of course YouTube as well. The bonus episode for Alien Isolation is out now for two hours of us discussing that modern survival horror classic. The Now That's What I Call Survivor Resident Evil 2 episode is out on podcast feed, so if you haven't checked it out on YouTube, you can do so there or relive it. And of course, the big news in the last few weeks, Resident Evil 4 Remake is real, uh, and rather than cover it in the what's already going to be a big news uh, section for this podcast, we actually immediately did a reaction little episode so you can listen to our immediate reactions to that news on the podcast feed. Shouldn't be hard to find. Go and check that out. All right, as I say, it's a big news episode. So, Steve, take us right into the biohazard news, would you please? So our first piece of news, Resident Evil Village Gold Edition is releasing in the 28th of October, 2022. In this, it will feature the DLC Shadows of Rose, new mercenaries characters, and a third-person mode. Um, yeah, I don't think... We were expecting this news quite so quickly off the back of Remake 4, I guess. Like, that was all very exciting, and we were kind of like, oh, where's the Village DLC at? And then, like, you know, a week later, maybe even less than, they were like, by the way, <laughs> here's all that other stuff, which is really, really exciting. Um, so much cool stuff to look forward to. James, out of all of this, what excites you the most? Um, I... Oh, I I'm excited for our. For, I'm, I'm mostly excited for people to experience uh, village in third person. I will also probably do that just for the extra experience of it. But I realized that a lot of people didn't play village because of it being first person. Yeah. And like the motion of it, like really messes with our brain sometimes. So it's really, yeah, it's really cool that that's a thing. In terms of like uh, the DLC, wow. Um, did not expect. It to be about Rose. I ex fully mm. expected, Sai, that they were just going to do another Sherry. And they were just going to forget. Sorry. Sorry, Sai, right. to bring that back up. Yeah, um, but thanks. they're just going <laughs> <laughs> to forget Sherry is a thing. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, very excited about it. Very excited. Uh, can't really say much more right now because we haven't been told much. Other than it looks like, and I think I brought this up before, but it looks like um, it, it looks like a kind of fatal frame-ish. The right. way, like the DLC does, yes. the way they've they put it across. Um, interested to see also to do videos because I'm sure folks gonna um, gonna come at me about it. But doing mercenary videos again, <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, to be honest, the pessimist sort of outlook was that some extra free DLC for Village. Actually, we don't know if this is free or paid for. I don't think they've said either way. But uh, 
the expectation if you're on the negative view was it's be some extra mercenary stuff and not much else so it's quite exciting to have just this smorgasbord of stuff and like you say a bit of a supernatural slant for Shadows of Rose. Uh, Showing, I don't know if you've played Village uh, yet or had the chance to do so. Um, would you be jumping in on a third-person mode, or would you stick with the first-person mode, or you know, what's your interest in this? Uh, it's it's cool. I didn't realize they've made any Resident Evil's Pass Three, uh, which is cool. <laughs> so, uh, actually, it's nice to be honest. Uh, slightly sidestepping that question. Uh, well, I'll answer it first. I could play a third-person version of it. I've not played Village yet. Yeah. Um, so, but slightly sidestepping, it's nice to be able to talk about the remake for RE4 at last. Um, so, <laughs> <coughs> that's <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> what, what, whilst we're here, because we haven't had you on for a while and we didn't get your opinion on it, how are you feeling about Remake 4? Pretty good. Uh, I actually started playing um, 4 again of recent times, mm. and I haven't played it since it came out, and... I can appreciate Resident Evil 4 for all that it was when it came out. It's a difficult one to play now. Uh, mm. And I am I think the remake will do really, really awesome things in terms of making it something that you can actually enjoy a little bit more, which is good. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's good. I mean, it's not the biggest surprise to anybody listening, I imagine, that I'm not a massive fan of the, of the direction the RE games went in after that. But RE4, it's got a lot, it's got a lot of merit to RE4, and I think this will really bring... Yeah, really punch up all the good stuff and then the mm. little bits and pieces that you're kind of playing mm, I wish that was smoother or I wish that worked slightly differently I'm sure they'll polish out so it's good yeah same basically <laughs> um, Steve how are you feeling about uh, Village Gold Edition and the, uh, the big wad of content that's coming well I mean boy am I glad that it was like here's a DLC for Village it's in VR like you know right. the, the, yeah. the massive cluster of stuff and I, honestly playing Village in third person is going to be the nicest little acid test for how 4 is probably going to go sure. I feel like the comparisons between Village and 4 they're fairly obvious right they're both same villages for a start Steve and uh, you know all the all the little exploring finding stuff shooting enemies getting money yeah it, it, it's going to be a nice little not what I don't want to say tech demo but that kind of feel it feels like mm. The one bit I want to touch on is the Shadows of Rose. Uh, is it going to be a... I think they were shown gunplay of Rose actually shooting things, right? It's not going to be Little Miss from Revelations 2 again. Yeah, I think there's... Yeah, I think there is some action screenshots. Mm, yeah, so she's not going to be just like, you know, running around and doing puzzles, which honestly is great. And that's third-person exclusive, so apparently we only get to see inside Ethan's head these days, <laughs> which mm. is a shame, I guess. Uh, Mercenaries looks like it's going to be fun, actually. Whereas base game mercenaries felt a bit more gauntlet-ish and, you know, you basically focus on just Ethan's loadout, the fact that different characters have different things. We are, I don't think we saw what Heisenberg does so much, but the fact that Chris is doing the punching and Lady D literally throws armoires and chairs at people. <laughs> like, you could probably get lots of wrestling sound effects in there and, oh my God, the best one's steel chair! And crowd screaming. To, incredible, you know, incredible. Greg Garbo lady. Uh, pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I think that was solid. A fantastic showcase. I personally don't think it's going to be free. I think it is a case of if you buy the re-released Gold Edition, then it will be free. Yes. But I think we'll have to buy it as a bundle. Like, I can see Shadows of Rose being the encompassing thing, and then the mercenaries and third-person mode are just attached to that. Yeah, I'm inclined, fine. I'm inclined to agree with that, because Remake 2's free DLC was uh, 
it wasn't you know bare bones we managed to make a whole episode out of it like we'll do with this um it was it was plenty in that sense but this feels like a lot more uh so in the sense you know it's closer to re7's sort of amount of and variation of dlc so yeah i, I expect it won't be free correct um yeah it's interesting that the third person mode it's per, the rose of shows shadows of roses third person mode locked um that is an interesting choice indeed, and maybe it's to make players be you know more aware that you can play the whole game like this. Like, oh, now you've played this DLC, you've returned to the game and played this DLC, why don't you play the whole base game again like this? And now, this time, we might finally get Ethan's face. Because how are uh, they How are they possibly... No. Is he going to like put his hand up when you rotate yeah, the camera? Yeah, it'll be cartoonishly like putting his hand in front of his face, like a child trying mm. to not get the face on camera, oh, just uh, when you swing the camera around. I hope not. I really hope not. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they'll rework the cutscenes. I don't. I don't see that happening. But mm. I hope they do. Like uh, I think Todd Soley didn't have like you know the mocap balls on his face and like the behind the scenes footage though. So well, they've, right. been, they've only been given. I mean, this is a DLC that they said they weren't planning to do. <laughs> and, yes, sure. Like, mm. And like so, I imagine they probably didn't put that much work into it. And that's another thing as well. Like for a, for a DLC that they weren't planning to do, I wasn't expecting this either. Yeah, like, for sure. Like I, I was expecting them to just, you know, carry on with with content that was very popular in the game. Like I mean, Rose was very popular, and the end was very popular. And there's a lot of questions about it, and I'm very excited for it because it's going to give us a lot of answers. Well, hopefully it does. Um, but yeah, yeah, I I like um, that they're working with the like. Obviously, this is going to be something to do with the Mega My Seat and the memories it holds uh, in some way. Mm. Mm, for sure, it's going to be interesting because it's like a massive time jump. It's like set in 2037 or something like this so yeah. Uh, uh yeah that's going to be really interesting from a law perspective i can't imagine we'll get lots of stuff that really informs us of what's happened in those 16 years because over the next 16 years in real life we'll get games take that take place there but yeah it's interesting all the same they'll, pro- they'll probably have yeah, to make it really really vague yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I would respectfully focus primarily on the Winters family for this. Like, if Chris has already been revealed that he's alive in FF in RE8's ending, mm. so uh, it's probably best to leave everyone else's fates ambiguous. I mean, the likelihood of them ever killing off anybody is sl- is I would certainly want to say slim, but since I can keep it vague enough that we don't know. Mm. Our next piece of news, uh, much to the First Aid Spray podcast listeners' uh, joy is that Resident <laughs> Evil Reverse has been announced it's going to go live on the same day, on the 28th of October, 2022. <laughs> and the crowd went whatever way they went. You know, we know this is a controversial one. Some people were hoping it was done and cancelled. Some people have, uh, you know, been throwing their hats in the air and doing a little jig at this because uh, there are people that are looking forward to this. I'm one of them, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm happy with a stupid, dumb Resi shooter why not it doesn't it's not going to take away from the good stuff if it winds up being bad uh but it's nice just to see that they are actually going to go ahead with it after all this time of waiting and it's a logical logical launch date when everyone's going to be putting that disc back in their console or booting it back up in whatever they've down the digital version and yeah so excited for it personally uh i'm really interested to see what they've done with it because it's obviously been over a year now since it was meant to go live so that's a lot of time to do whatever they've done uh james how are you feeling about reverse at this current moment although i suppose we haven't really got anything new to go on so i don't know if there's yeah. any change you know it's like all we got was a was the poster they released last year yeah yeah um literally no, we've been show show nothing 
I I think I remember October. Um, uh, previous guests on the on the show, uh, on the podcast, they said that um, <laughs> they on Twitter they said it'd be really funny if over the past year they worked literally did no work on the aesthetics of the game at all or any of the <laughs> gameplay. They were just working on the back the back uh, the behind the scenes networking that kind yeah. of thing. Right, it'd be so funny if that, and I feel like that is the case because I've literally shown nothing. Um, it could well be. It could well be. Uh, people were saying they were having problems with the beta, which a lot of us didn't experience, but some people couldn't get in at all. So, oh, I mean, I I played. I I you know like every RE multiplayer game so far, I picked it up, and I haven't been. And I I come from a lot of multiplayer online background, and I wasn't mm. super excited about it. But I did have fun. You know, I liked the the idea of it and the fact that it was a very quick round. You don't see that normally on the sure. like five yeah. to seven minutes of game time. You don't see that normally in multiplayer online stuff. Um, but yeah, when it showed up, I went, oh, neat. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't super enthused about it because, yeah, it would, need to, it would need to sell, you know, it needs to sell itself to me. And it hasn't sure. right now. Yeah, hopefully okay. that we hopefully over the next few months we get a bit more information, a little bit of content drop here and there about you know potential maps and characters. Now that we got a third person, Ethan Winters, uh, I feel very likely that he's going to be a character that gets added as well. But uh, Steve, how are you feeling about this? Okay, now I'm going to be honest. I was originally rather skeptical about Reverse in the first place, but in the time since then, I think we've had a look at Umbrella Core. <laughs> and the only way is up, my friends. Okay, and this is more of a wider scope thing. I mean, if you look at like uh, Dead by Daylight, Friday the Thirteenth, and all these other horror-themed four v one versus games, it's going to be nice to have something different. Mm. Uh, even if it is basically Gears of War with the Resi characters who have their own unique moves. And in that regard, fine. You know what? It's not my first pick, but for something that's going to be just like variety in the yeah. the multiplayer third-person shooter landscape. I'm for it because I feel like we've been choked for a while. Mm. Uh, I know that sounds strange, maybe, you know, being optimistic because it's something different for a, a genre as a whole as opposed to, like, you know, the current in thing. So, mm. yeah, bring it on. I, I don't mind transforming into Jack Baker and then beating the living daylights out of Leon Kennedy. Why not? <laughs> you know, I, I've seen Dafter things. Even if the beta is just like how it's going to be, I still think that was stronger than Umbrella Core on oh, the, the sure. sheer fun factor alone. Yeah, and I'm not the I'm not the multiplayer resi guy, but somehow I'm still going. You know what? Let, let, let's let's ride. Let's let it ride and see what happens. Agreed. Our last piece of news this week is that there are now three current gen updates for Resident Evil Seven, Resident Evil Two Remake, and Three Remake, and they are live across all platforms. Yes, that's a PS Five. Uh, series X, S and X and PC, right? Yes, it is indeed. Um, there was some controversy with the PC one that's been resolved, thankfully. Capcom being Capcom as always and uh, listening. Uh, there was a, The update was pretty much forced on players who then, if you didn't have a high enough spec PC, pretty much felt like they were boxed out of playing these games at all. Uh, but they've been since updated as well, so you can play the, the previous version or the super high power version, depending on what suits you, which is, I think, is a really, really cool thing to do. Um, I have had a little, little bit of a chance to drop back into RE7. I've been having some village cravings, and I thought, oh, this is the perfect time. I'll play the upgraded seven and play through village again. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks stunning. The lighting is incredible. Some of the character models just pop more than ever. 
uh, yeah, really, really happy with it so far. And obviously a lot of people have been sharing their stuff in the server and on social media to show how good these games look. Steve, have you had a chance to play any of these in the last couple of weeks and see the differences? Uh, yeah, I dabbled with two remake on uh, the Series X, and uh, trust me, it was weird at the time. So I didn't realise that 3D audio was uh, enabled by default, and therefore it was screwed with my entire sense of sound and things. <laughs> and it's basically on on that system. I have to choose between. I mean, I can have both, but it chugs if you try. Uh, you can either choose between having ray tracing on or ultra super frame rate mode. And uh, me being the performance guy, I went straight for ultra super performance mode. And the physics get a little bit weird. <laughs> uh, but otherwise it's fine like you know if you shoot certain things off it's like Dead Space 1 where they just fly off into the distance or something which it, it's okay uh, I think I, f- I kind of feel like if that's an indicator of the rest of the things there's probably a few bugs that need ironing out but it's not nothing game breaking at least for me mm. ray tracing looks nice but again tanks performance it, you know, if you know what that is it's basically or AI generated reflections in stuff like water or just shiny stuff. And it, it, it looks great when it works, but you'll be moving a slideshow, at least on the consoles. Yeah. Yeah, what's cool about RE7 when I boot it up in particular is that it, it was like, okay, you can play with these options, but you can't actually play with these because we've basically looked at what your TV is and you can't, you can't deal with this. So I didn't have some of the options, which is fine. I'm not too bothered. Uh, but I'm, I haven't ha- experienced any slowdown because of it, because I knew what to turn on and what I couldn't. So, um, James, have you had a chance to dip back into these at all recently on the PC? I haven't had the opportunity, no. Um, I mean, I'll, just because I want to add something, but it's not to do with the re, like the re, well, I don't know what you would call them. What were the pre-releases? I guess. Sure. Hi, high definition re-releases. I don't know. Um, I mean, they're technically updates. Uh, yeah. They're not like. Yeah. It's not like Resident Evil Seven Super Turbo or anything. It's yeah, you don't have to rebuy it. They're all free. Yeah. I I have played um I have played Village recently on PC, and oh yes um yeah that uh, though this there's nothing to do with this 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 update guys but. Um, I just want to point out that um, just getting rid of that DRM bug has made me realize that there's so much more to the game mm-hmm. um, because I'm not having to go through five seconds of lag every time something attacks me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool, actually. That's all I wanted, wanted to add, really, because, uh, yeah, just, you know, for other folks who have PCs, mediocre PCs like myself, um, yeah, Village is good to play now, so go play it. <laughs> yes. There's an additional piece of news for you, just for that. <laughs> cool. Okay, um, I think we'll move on then to our main subject of this episode, which is Comic Club Wildstorm's Resident Evil. And now, reading the file, researcher's letter from Resident Evil 1996, Retina. You can follow on Twitter, that's Retina8719. June 8th, 1998. Dear Ada, Ada, by the time you read this, I'll be something different. Today's test turned out to be positive, just as I expected. I feel like going crazy when I think about becoming one of them. Ada, you are not infected, and I hope you never will be. In case you are the last one left, take the material in the visual data room and go to the power room and operate the triggering system before you escape and make all this public through the media. If everything is in order, all the locks can be opened by the security system. You can access the system if you log in with my name from the terminal in the small lab and enter the password. The password is your name. 
To unlock the door at B2 where the visual data room is located, you'll need to access with our name first and then enter another password. I've written the code below. I'm sure you'll understand it easily. And this is my last hope. If you find me completely changed, please kill me yourself. Yours, John. Alright, we've done a book club, we've done a film club, we ain't never done a comic club before. No idea how this is gonna go. Uh, we'll do our best to explain the comics without a visual aid, um, as we have to do with stuff like the books, so we are a little bit experienced with it, I guess. But it's gonna be an interesting one, to say the least. Um, so to give a little bit of context for what we'd be talking about on this episode, uh, Wildstorm was founded in 1992 and bought out by DC Comics, of all people, around 97. Uh, they had several original properties, but they also ran adaptations of existing IPs like Friday the 13th, uh, Star Trek, Gears of War, World of Warcraft. Um, the Resident Evil published works they did can be sort of divided into four series. You have the official comic magazine, Fire and Ice, Code Veronica, which is actually just their Western published like version of a Chinese manhwa, and then the final, which is simply just titled Resident Evil. Uh, so in this episode, we'll be specifically covering Resident Evil, the official comic magazine, which ran from March 98 to February 99 and included five issues with a total of 16 stories among them. Some of these stories cover events from the first two games or events around them. Uh, many of them are purely anthology tales from Wildstorm's ta Wild take on the Resident Evil universe. And yeah, we're going to talk about all of them. Before we get into that, I suppose the first place to start is, you know, any personal history. Stephen Sherwin, you guys have got a long history with the series. Uh, Sherwin, did you ever come across the comics in the wild? Have you had a chance to look at these before now? Do you know, I think I must have. I kind of feel like I did maybe not own them. I think someone I knew had them and I've around the time that we were sort of, you know, there was a uh, regular trips to Forbidden Planet or something or other to sort of encounter mm. them. And I realised this when I, um, <clears throat> obviously not dropping too many spoilers, but I realised this when I got to the section talking about, um, is that one panel where, where Chris is saying, hey, so we, yeah, this is how we survived the mansion. And Jill was like, wait, I, I rescued you. Uh, that, that that bit, I, I remember reading that and going, huh, I've seen that before. Complete blank until then. So I was like, oh, okay, that's resonant with me for some reason or another. So I must have, but in truth, I, I didn't have any... Um, no, I, I can't recollect ever reading them fully and actually remembering them. So so I think I did, but don't recall mm. them. Uh, Steve, what's your prior experience with the comics, if any? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to shatter some expectations here and say that I knew of them. I, I I know they're a thing. Uh, I, I never actually sought them out until this uh, this podcast. This is my uh, first time really reading them. I, I I just knew of them, and I just there was something that in the back of my mind. I must have been like, yeah, they're not canon, Steve. Like, oh, no, I'll skip them. Because <laughs> in the mindset of when these were released, I would have been a bit more, should we say, of a law purist, uh, a bit more lighter on that nowadays. <laughs> so yeah, I, I actually haven't I actually haven't read them before. Uh, yeah, similar, really, to be honest. I don't think it's... I think it It doesn't surprise me that none of us have particularly had too much experience with them. Um, you know, the S.C. Perry novels are not something that every fan has read, but they are definitely more widespread than the comics, which seem to be, again, yeah, as you said, something that people are aware of, 
but haven't necessarily checked them out. And the great thing about First Aid Spray is that it gives us that opportunity, for better or for worse, to look at absolutely everything that has had the Resident Evil logo on it at some point. Um, so what we'll do is we'll go basically issue by issue and talk about the stories within and what we liked and what we didn't like about them. Uh, but before we get there, let's talk about you know, the way they look as a general thing. I know there are different artists throughout all the different issues doing different stuff, but how do we feel about the general presentation of Resident Evil, the official comic magazine? Uh, James, why don't we start with you? How do you feel about the way these comics look? Do you feel like it's the the correct direction that they should have taken with the, the source material? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, I really like the art style um, in, in, these, in these comics. It's I've, I've put down on my notes that everything look is bigger in the comics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I noticed like everything is bigger. Like Yawn is absolutely gigantic. Um, the tyrant is huge. He's like, a muscle bound god in this, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like everything is big. But at the same time, like with comics, if they tried to keep it to the game, the games, it wouldn't have been as terrifying. Because I feel like in the comics, they have to use that whole panel and they want to instill fear with these huge monsters. And I love the kind of direction they went with, with the with the monsters uh, when it came to the art. And, the, and you know, other than a few points um, when it came to the characters and how they look, um, like Ada, for instance, in issue two, I think it mm-hmm. was, she was very clearly whitewashed. But then they changed it. <laughs> So she was actually um, to a more traditional uh, character uh, character model. Yeah, um, I really, really digged all the. There was only a couple of issues where I was like, "Okay, I'm not." It's, it looks a bit weird, um, but yeah, mostly like nine percent of uh, this five issue series, I loved the artwork in it. Yeah, I uh, I think I'm in the same sort of spot as you. Really, I've got a couple of little issues I could certainly pick at, but overall pretty happy with it it seems very suitable to resident evil for the most part for me um showing how do you how did you find it um i'm going to project a little bit here i think there's something <coughs> quite quaint about these excuse me <laughs> my voice goes to normal there's something quite quaint about these um about these releases i think which are they just feel very innocent compared to what resident evil became if you mm. look at when yeah you know, what, what what Resident Evil was when it came out versus what Resident Evil grew into, and it kind of strikes me in the same. I, I look at this with a slight nostalgia, the same way as I might do the Gamescom uh, or you know RE2, or I might look at some of the sort of funky adaptations or the way that we used to sort of approach RE games back then. Um, yeah, because I must admit I am not I am not a huge comic fan whatsoever. So it's one interesting to have me on this show, but two. Um, not my preferred medium, so, so yeah. But there's there's certainly something about these which is, I don't know. Again, maybe it's nostalgia, maybe it's the subject, but they're enjoyable enough. Yeah, I agree. Quaint is a really good word for it. It's uh, there's something about it that I really liked in the fact that I don't want to say it's so nineties because that sort of dreams up ridiculous. Yeah, but it is. Neon, <laughs> to be but fair, it, <laughs> it massively is. <laughs> but it is. Yeah, absolutely, it is. But like more than anything, it kind of <laughs> nostalgically looks back at sort of like a period of media before everything was dark and gritty. Like there is color all over the place for this. Even the gore is bright and vibrant, which I yeah. really liked. It's not just all moody, hopeless, horrible stuff. Um, 
there's some really good use of darkness in this comic, certainly, and there's some really nice stylistic stuff to mix things up very occasionally. Um, in particular, a panel that stood out to me is in issue two, where Leon and Ada are walking through the RPD cell block and it's all silhouetted and classy. And I was like, oh, that's really nice compared to... It really stands out from the rest of the comics. I like what they did there. Uh, yeah, you know, overall, fairly happy with it. Steve, uh, are you going to disagree or, or are we all in no, unanimous I, I, uh, I, I, Again, I'm like Sherwin. I'm not a, a comic book guy, you know, but at the same token, I can really appreciate it. it, it to my mind, it kind of, like... My older brother was into comics, but his stuff was like Tank Girl and Judge Dredd. Right. And and it, the way my mind is processing it, it's kind of like take those two properties and meld their visual style on top of something akin to the 90s Spider-Man TV show, <laughs> which really doesn't help matters in describing things whatsoever, but it looks like a, a really polished single frames of cartoon stuff, like with gradient shading for me. Mm. Uh, I can get behind it, although character models and stuff shift, uh, shift and change, sometimes in between like different stories in the same issue. Mm. So models don't necessarily stay consistent. But yeah, generally I, I like it. It feels like if, if Resident Evil is going to be a quote-unquote 80s or 90s cartoon, this is probably the aesthetic they could have gone with. <laughs> Maybe a little bit less... Uh, shaded because uh, yeah. I'd imagine that costs a lot more but yeah generally it's already a step above through the Mortal Kombat Avengers or whatever the heck that was so yeah I'll take it <laughs> it's actually yeah you're quite right actually it makes me want like an actual cartoon series now thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I I came I just came off the latest arc of Alien Marvel Aliens which I've been very vocal about not liking the art direction um, of and to come and to actually read these and see the work they put into each panel, it really put a smile on my face every time I was turning a page. It was like, oh man, this is what I could have had. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, it really made me very nostalgic for what things used to be like. You know, in terms of being very simple, colorful, and stuff. And yeah, it was it was nice. Mm. Actually, yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's funny we're all in a similar camp then because I didn't really grow up reading a whole lot of comics um, I have had somewhat more recent exposure because Horizon uh, did a couple of stories so I picked all that stuff off but uh, it was reading this that made me look back on that and be like yeah the stories are nice the colours are nice in the Horizon stuff but like the detail just felt a little bit lacking in places whereas this has actually got a lot of stuff um, and Steve I actually disagree I think that uh, it, it stays largely consistent for my money um you know, there are different artists throughout, so it's going to happen. Yeah. But considering, I mean, that's probably what you mean. Yeah. Um, and you get, you, yeah, you are going to get nuances and stuff like that that change. But I think largely, um, it, it, it was never a point where it threw me off. Like a lot of um, comic books with multiple stories in that are written and, and drawn by different people. You go, oh, that's, that's the separation of this one. Uh, this all felt like it's fit together nicely for me. There were a couple of things I didn't like. Um, some things are a little bit unclear sometimes and it feels like there's some missing panels in a few places there's certainly that's <laughs> a whole story part I want to get to with that but uh, James you were talking about Ada but there's a there's a bit where she's driving a car and she swerves to avoid someone in the road and then the next panel is suddenly she's running away from her car and the car is like smashed into a tree in the background but there's no action panel of her like smashing into the tree it's her <laughs> driving like swerving and then running away from the car I was like Okay, there's a few moments like that where it's like, you probably could have done with uh, just a little bit, but I understand, you know, the limitations of the medium and trying to squeeze everything you can onto the page. 
But uh, there was a few moments like that that took me out of it a little bit. <laughs> if such a thing happens in comic books, if, if immersion is a thing. I, I do. No, there were, no, you're right. There were a couple of moments where I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. um, but I feel like that's part of comics. I think that's like I, a part. You of, might be right. Yeah. Because like even in I've because I've collected Tomb Raider comics. It, I've been a recent collector like you, Sai. Like, so I collected like X-Men stuff I've, in the past eight years. Um obviously alien stuff tomb raider stuff image uh, comics i tend to get everything they put out um and that seems to be a common thread is that like there'll be just a random like ex- exclamation in one panel but there'll be no explanation and then the next one you're like wait ha- you have to then piece together what just <laughs> happened <laughs> i feel like uh you know maybe going a bit cart before the horse i feel like the the adaption of leon a clear b suffers a bit from that like if you hadn't played the games there are things where it just skips a pace, and you have to go. Oh yeah, that's what's happened here, and and so on. But mm. that, that yeah, that's limitations of the medium. You know, you can only get so much on so many pages. And uh, God, God bless them. But these are all like hand drawn, aren't they? Mm. They're not going to be all like machined and through Photoshop like they would be nowadays. So yeah. yeah. Okay, let's start with issue one, which was published in March of 1998. Uh, it features four stories, which is more than any other issue in the series, uh, which are as follows. Stars Files, which is pretty much just your backstories for your Stars members. Who Are Those Guys, which actually quite cleverly tells the story of uh, Umbrella Researcher John and his letters to Ada, uh, and kind of tells the background of the T-Virus story um, as it stands in the comics, which is a little bit different. Uh, Dangerous Secrets, which is the stars debriefing each other post-Resident Evil 1. And Raccoon City R.I.P., which is basically just zombie outbreak moments in Raccoon City. And all of these were written by Ted Adams. So uh, this is where we get kind of like loose with this a little bit. I'm really just going to throw it around to people. What did and didn't you like about certain stories uh, in this issue? Showing what stood out to you about issue 1 the most. Uh, so what stood out to me the most was the way they... I almost felt like, why why are you trying to blast through the narrative so quickly? Mm. Um, is the biggest thing, that is the biggest takeaway. It's like, there's a there's really interesting thing that happens in the first couple <coughs> of issues of this, where it's almost like there's, there's sort of a lip service to, oh, we have to sort of talk about the initial story a little bit, instead of building around that. And I get it, because I, I kind of finished and thought, mm, would this have been better? Would this have been a better thing if if they just kind of focused on you know John and Ada Ada's story for example? Mm. Would this have been better on if they just pick, if they created random researcher and kind of focused on you know the outbreak or something else? Tried to tell a smaller story around it. Um, but then at the same time, you kind of miss the big hitters. You kind of miss Barry and Jill and all the others. Um, so at that point, you kind of don't. I mean, could you have done something with some of the Bravo team? Yes. Mm. I th- I think it's. It's almost, it's kind of exacerbated by the fact that, and this is true of the first couple of episodes. It, it kind of ties back to what you were talking about with Ada as well. Um, like the the parts where we're talking about going through kind of the mansion and and going through the the um, you know some of the other stuff in terms of um, RE 2s events and so on are just so glossed over and so blasted through. It's almost to the point where I'd rather you didn't do that. You just do something else around it. Mm. Um, but yeah, as you say, it, they're, they're kind of the John Native thing is kind of fun. Um, they kind of built yeah. on that quite yeah. nicely. That was cool. Um, yeah, 
that's that's about all I've got to add. It's a bit of a downer, unfortunately, but that's all right because you guys are going to jump on and say nice things now, right? <laughs> I I can see what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, when you put it that way, it's like man, there is a lot of potential. It's one of those things with Briar Team, especially. We always talk about it. it's like a lot of untapped potential there for stories that they've never really done anything with at all. Um, and this is another example of that. That being said, I actually quite like the what they did sort of not telling retelling the first game certainly uh, but doing stuff around it because you've got your backstories you got your back you know over the stars members and the t-virus then you go and play the video game and then you read the rest of the comic and get your sort of like stars members de- debriefing each other um so i like that it sort of literally does act as an addition to the law even if we already get stuff in this that sort of you know it doesn't actually fit uh, the John and Adolf thing for me is the best story in this issue, certainly. It's really cool. <laughs> John gets his own keeper moment where he becomes a zombie at the end and gets taken out by Jill. I thought that was really neat. Um, James, anything that stood out to you, positive, negative, for this issue? Yeah, I, no, I'm I'm actually going to repeat. <laughs> pacing is really bad. Um, <laughs> and it, it mm. actually... It, has, it actually is a problem for a lot of little stories throughout this series that pacing mm-hmm. can be really bad. Um, they could have done it differently. They could have just done like a short one panel, um, one page exposition page, you know, and then it'd be fine. Like instead of actually kind of mishmashing and um, throwing things, you know, here and there. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed the original stories in this comic more than I enjoyed them constantly going back and looking like, right talking about what they're going to do next i one of my pet peeves about anything in media is exposition too much of it i understand exposition you know being a dm i know it needs to happen right but when you when you put too much in it's very obvious when you do it can really it can ruin it sometimes so the pacing is a really a really big downer for me um mm. for the for, it's not just the first issue for me but other than that like you, I love the John Fay and Ada Ada Wong like little story. I love that because it doesn't. I love little stories that don't really impact the canon too much. Sure, yeah, right. And that didn't really impact the canon too much. You know, it wouldn't make people go, oh, you know, put their glasses or you know higher up on their face. <laughs> um, you know, it, it felt it felt right. And yeah, like you, I thought it was really cool that Jill came in in the end. That was some kind of closure there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do kind of touch on this in the future, which they probably won't, but if they do, it would be cool to have like some kind of Ada X Jill like showdown <laughs> at some point um, because of what she did. But this, I think, are these considered not canon? Yeah, these are certainly... uh, There is literally... There is one story in all of these that we're going to talk about that could just about fit in, uh, and we'll we'll get there. Yeah. I'll I'll mention it. But uh, this is certainly considered non-canon. The problem with that one in particular is that in the game... I think the comics misunderstood a few things. Uh, Maybe I did, but I'm pretty sure the whole point is Ada is playing John to get on the inside Mm. of Umbrella. She's not all that interested, but in the comics, she actually... uh, they kind of interpret her as actually caring about it. They made some interesting choices. They also took some parts of... It's weird. There's some stuff in this that feels like it's part of the Perryverse. And I don't know if it was like that that's because it was existing material that Capcom was considering using and then threw out. Like the fact that the Stars is a bigger operation than Raccoon City kind of get t- gets touched on in this, which is a Perryverse thing, not a video game thing. 
But yeah, uh, I, yeah. no, I, 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 yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. And the the other like the other thing it, it confused me a bit is that like I've always assumed that 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 John was basically just Ada's like connection. Yeah, that's what within, I think so. Yeah, like I didn't seriously think that John was her boyfriend mm-hmm. in any way, and she actually cared about him. But this this kind of spun a, a cool like extra angle to it, which I liked. Um, but yeah, so it, it, that was a nice surprise. I mean, even though it's not canon now, yeah. like I still would like that because mm-hmm. I feel I do feel even though Ada Wong has a special place in my heart, she is a little bit one dimensional. Mm-hmm. You know, and it would be nice to have that extra dimension to her. <laughs> you ain't gonna tell me that, <laughs> uh, Steve. What stands out for issue one for you? What did you like the most? Gee, about it? gee is it also uh, who are these guys? <laughs> yes, it is. They're having an itchy, tasty comic and seeing mm. Umbrella from the insiders' release or researchers' point of view as they fall apart is uh, it's great. It's always fun. I feel like we need to touch on some of the other stuff, though. So I also, in fact, liked the uh, the recap and the fact that one stars is it they've got their own office in the RPD that is similar to the Batcave, uh, yeah, with giant <laughs> computer screens and very very super futurist stuff. And uh, that Chris and Jill can't get the story straight, and she's very annoyed at Chris, thinking he's done things that she thinks she's done, which is a nice nod to the games. He he mansplained her so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, I found you in the jail and stuff. Yeah, I hundred percent. I'm behind Jill. Like Chris is writing it from a Stan's point of view, as opposed to the truth. <laughs> but no, overall, I think it's it's solid. It's very anthological. It feels like I think that's the word, right? Where it's yeah. uh, loads of little set stories in the universe. Kind of wish we'd seen more Bravo team like everybody else, but I'm starting to understand there was an internet comic based around RE1 specifically. I don't know if we're going to get that down the line. Yeah, they, it was like an additional story they did that uh, I didn't realise was a thing until we were well into this. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it feels like it would slot perfectly in between Wesker's briefing and then obviously Chris, Jill, Barry and Rebecca going through the information in the Batcave or sure. Stars Cave or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, they've probably got Stars Jet and Stars Credit Card and all those other cool bits <laughs> and merch. So they can make all those toys. <laughs> exactly. I didn't really think much to the prelude to the downfall of uh, Raccoon City, unfortunately. Like, yeah. like Ada just teleporting from a road to Birkin's lab, looking like uh, a lady from a 1950s uh, film noir detective thriller just pointing at what I assume is Birkin before the events. Uh, yeah. It seemed a bit meh. And then Leon shows up saying, who are these guys while dual-wielding handguns and looking all awesome, but also incredibly grimacy. Yeah, not not the strongest. It's it's still probably the the personal story that if you could, I think if you could wink and nudge a bit, you could probably say that is a thing that mm. that could exist in some shape or form. Like that is John's backstory since it doesn't break anything. Plus, yeah, he- the man literally deals with baldness, and that's a, a significant thing for Steve at present, who's worried about his hair. <laughs> So yeah, I, I liked that touch, actually, level. to be fair. I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, overall, the, the, that story is the big one for Steve. I think you're right. The final story of this issue is definitely the weakest. Um, it doesn't really do a whole lot. I do like... It's got... There's quite a few clever little cute references in this. Um, one of which, that final story has a nice uh, reference to Remake 2, 20 years before it came out, with Ada wearing a jacket over her dress. It's not the coat, but it'll do. 
Um, <laughs> you get to see Barry's family photo at the beginning of the issue as well, which I thought was a really good attention to detail. Um, and these kinds of things are really nice. Uh, and then we stop seeing them after issue one, basically. <laughs> uh, you know, Chris's insubordination is given a reason this. You know, he's, he's he goes back for someone that his superior said to leave behind. It's like, oh, that's cool. We don't think we've got that in the video games. I'm not sure that's actually uh, considered a canon piece of information. I like it. There's Stuff now. like that's really nice. Yeah, I can I, I be if I want it to be. There's some really interesting points to this, though. Like, so much of, there's so many small nods like that that make more sense. And you go, okay, mm. that's kind of cool. But then... Wesker's description of the teams at the start is just woefully wrong or just woefully kind of just feels really out of character for all of them. It's like, how can you be so correct? Um, how can you be so correct or how can you be so have all these small nods here and there and go, oh, this is really, really good. But then in introducing this idea of, oh, I've chosen these people and these people for these skills to take into the into the stars team. It kind of just makes it just kind of feels very much off brand for what the stars organization is, the size of it and everything else. It's it's really interesting how they've managed to get that wrong, but then also really right in other places, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's why I wonder if maybe that was something that was actually... It wasn't public knowledge, but might have been considered law backstage. This idea of like a wider Stars Corporation that wasn't just a specialist police unit. Because it is in the novels as well. You know, there's all these different stars all over the country and stuff. So it is a weird coincidence or not that both of them do that. Uh, I agree. Also, shout out to that uh, Wesker's little briefing thing at the beginning with the image of Kenneth, where he's like using test tubes and like, it's like the most ridiculous image ever of him. I'm like, doing so, science. I, I am sciencing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was a big fan of that stupid, but there you go. Uh, so... To sum it up, I suppose, before we move on, I think, personally, uh, I agree with some of your guys' issues with this. I, I haven't necessarily gone into them because they're going to become bigger problems later. I would say, overall, but this is actually my favourite issue of a bunch of them uh, because of the way all the stories were interconnected. Um, and it tells some stuff that's around the first game, even if it is non-canon, without getting too silly. Again, see you later. Oh, I don't know. There, there's one scene uh, that's particularly silly, so silly I'm surprised it wasn't copied from Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, the zombie, uh, was it gas station clerk, who literally pours gasoline down a man's throat as he drops a lit cigarette <laughs> and blows them both up. I feel like that could have easily been done. <laughs> yeah, fair. I forgot about it's that. Cut, <laughs> it's cut, it's cut, cut, cut from Raccoon City because, you know, budget. <laughs> yeah, they already had one flaming zombie guy. It's fine. I, yeah. I like I like the idea they kind of got as far as pouring the gas down there. So, whoa, 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 we can't do the explosion. Oh, sh**. All right. Coughs up all the stuff <laughs> and then keeps going. Um, anyone got any final thoughts on issue one? Um, just just quickly, the inserts that they had. Um, one second. I need to bring up my notes again because there was one thing that made me laugh out loud. That Barry was originally going to be a tough beefcake with a robot eye. Oh, did oh, you yeah. Girls are in Dewey in yeah. this as well. We haven't touched on that, have we? Yeah, yeah. did you not? Yeah, so actually, funnily enough, I was going to say, I quite enjoyed uh, the interviews in the first couple mm, of episodes yeah. of this. Uh, they were cool. Yeah, did you not know about um, Girls are in Dewey? I didn't know. Yeah, Resident Evil was, uh, was weird before <laughs> it was good. Let's put it that way. Yeah, the, um, <laughs> so the, the infamous Jill sandwich scene, the collapse in ceiling, Girls was going to hold that up while Jill, while Jill runs out of it. That was the idea. I mean, it's, it's just Cable's brother, isn't he? Like, from uh, the Marvel <laughs> yeah. Universe. 
pretty Which nice. is fine by me. Cable's awesome. So interesting, because I, I kind of heard that and thought of what was it Jax from Mortal Kombat 2? That's where I went to. <laughs> it's got two automatic shotguns, uh, a cyborg eye, and what appears to be one hell of a steroid abuse problem. Like, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's like it's like they kind of made a Metal Slug character in Resident Evil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Oh man! All right, issue two uh, released in June 1998. Three stories in this one. We touched on one of them a little bit already, which is a new chapter of Evil. Uh, written by Ted Adams. This is Resident Evil 2 uh, retold. We have Mutant Menagerie, which is the story of uh, Raccoon City Zoo uh, being infected by the G-Virus, and Lockdown, which in my notes I've basically just written Barry in Die Hard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is where Barry goes to see a psychiatrist and then has to jump out of a however many story building. Uh, Both the last two were written by Chris Oprisco. Uh, Okay. I, I'm going to kick this one off with the RE2 thing. I agree with what you guys were saying about pacing at this point, especially. It's like the game basically on speed. I know it has to be this way. That doesn't mean that I would have done this if I was in charge of this. Uh, what I like about issue one is telling events around the story is what kind of made me interested in it. Trying to hurry through the events of a fairly... <sighs> Fairly story-driven, I wouldn't say dialogue-heavy, but there's a lot of stuff going on RE2 that trying to contain it to half a comic book was a fool's errand. (laughs) Uh, Sherwin, is this where the wheels fall off for pacing for you? Uh, 100%. Yeah. Um, I I think it would be better if they just hadn't tried to tell the story at all. I agree, Um, yeah. if, If that's the simple case, because you either devote the entire thing to it and turn it in. I feel like... I feel like if this is what you're doing, you would have been better off suited to make the entire series this, mm. and simply do it that way. Um, but hey ho, I mean that's what it is. Uh, otherwise, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's the same. It's the same thing as before, really. Um, the zoo was kind of interesting. <laughs> is that the um, word that you want to use? <laughs> I'm going to say kind of interesting. Um, again, it's uh, it's still got its nostalgia for me. Like I, mm. it's, again, the world was a, a more innocent place back then. You know, kind of you think about what was, yeah, what we had for media and everything else. It, it was kind of I can see why it is that something like this came out, and there's almost a certain naivety which gives it its own charm. Um, like now, the something like this will get eaten alive, but fandoms weren't like that back then. So, yeah, yeah, true. I mean. <laughs> This one, like for anyone who's listening who has not experienced the comics, which, as I say, I wager is a lot of people, to be fair, because it's one of those things people are aware of and haven't dug into. If you want to read the weirdest, most nutso story in Resident Evil publishing history, it may well be this one. Like, This is where the comic books get weird, and they get weird fast. Birkin G2 goes to a zoo, lifts up a tiger. (laughs) Somebody gets killed by a zombie prairie dog. Which might be one of the most unique deaths in the series. Let's put it that way. It's it's bizarre. Steve, how did you feel about uh, issue, issue two? Ben's, yeah, how do you? Feel? <laughs> it felt uh, like this is going to sound strange, but it felt like Evil Dead, uh, but with zombie animals, uh, especially <laughs> the, the 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 tool up sequence and him trying to coerce yeah. himself from being an everyday man to also a badass. While clearly getting that, there's a, there's an image early on in the Mutant Menagerie story where it's just. 
He's jumped over a fence or something. It looks like he's doing a casual Friday pose as two of his colleagues have been disemboweled in front of him. <laughs> and it just it brings a smile to my face at how off-tone it is. It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I do uh, actually don't hate it in, in the ridiculousness of a it's-just-silly kind of way. Like, uh, yeah, and the everyday bloke somehow becoming Bruce Campbell and kicking the living daylights about everything in a zoo. Like, one hell of a game that would have been. <laughs> And all he's doing is, is he's trying to turn the power off, isn't he? To like keep or turn it in. Keep, he's trying to keep the animals trapped in and kill them before they get out. Or yeah, basically. Stupid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, succeeds. Then goes for a nap and gets jobbed off. So <laughs> fair play. And then Barry's diehard story is, uh, you know, if you thought the RE2 summary was breakneck, I felt like this was just teleporting <laughs> up and down this skyscraper. <laughs> Which is a shame because Barry is like you know one of the best characters in Resident Evil history, hands down. And any adventure with him is amazing. Plus that beard in most shots looks amazing. And the, the self is great. Like he's uh, being basically duped by Umbrella into basically going for therapy, and then it all goes wrong. Now uh, the th- the two non-canon side stories actually have an element of fun to them for me, but they are you have to t- accept the fact they are absolutely ridiculous. The yes. point where if I said Barry jumps off a rooftop and clears a ground clearance of like 30 feet or at least another building and then lands in a pool from a 50-foot drop and survives, absolute legend. But that man would be dead on impact. <laughs> it's Barry. He can never die. But uh, it's, it's <laughs> like, it, he's, like, he's, lucky the, he's lucky the floor survived. But the point is is that <laughs> I, I'd like, I, I like more the, the setup to this. Barry goes to a psychiatrist. That is, that's all you need is an elevator pitch. Just thought that's what. It absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Here's agree a question: with that. Were you monologuing his like his uh, his lines as RE One Barry or oh yeah his other later verse? Because for me, it was very much like, oh Jill, you know, very <laughs> that, you know, we were almost a Jill sandwich. That level of tone for him. Uh, yeah, there's no other. There is no other Barry. That's the only one. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> you have to take it with the context of the time. So one hundred percent. It's Barry Erde, absolutely. I mean, that's what was written in mind, which is why, to a certain extent, I don't mind that it's ridiculous and he gets some cheesy one-liners over the course of all of these issues. This um, is far from therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, perfect. Oh, so I just good. love that line so much. <laughs> he takes out a tyrant with a random vial. <laughs> Absolute legend. Yeah, he also, oh. to be fair, in that story, he gets the most gnarly looking kill shot in all of these comics. Like, he gets an, an absolute headshot, which explodes a zombie's head. I was like, that's spot on accurate for Barry. Well done. Um, yeah, that story, it, it reminded me of. <laughs> this is a weird reference. Return of the Living Dead 2, if anyone's yeah. seen it. It's the most stupid zombie flick I've ever seen. You know, all the zombies dance and talk and all kinds of stupid stuff. There's a panel in this story where a zombie's holding a glass of wine, for an exa- for one example, you know. So if that's what you want out of it, then you're going to win, absolutely. Uh, it's not really what I want out of Resident Evil particularly, but as a stupid spin-off, you know, unimportant thing, you got you have to relax and enjoy it for what it is. James, how did you feel about these uh, suddenly very more ridiculous stories? <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. I just want to echo it by everybody. Like these last two, I re- like Patrick Brady. What a legend! Like you know the zoo guy. Like oh yeah, 
That's his name. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Um, actually, Where's his outbreak character mod, everybody? Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, there is even a zoo scenario, for God's sakes. In, in fact, <laughs> when, I, when I actually got to that section, when I got to his story, I noticed a very clear dip in artistic detail. <laughs> in terms of how, how the comic looked. But it was it was fun. Um, it was weird seeing all the all the monsters, all the the zoo animals have red eyes, like they were phantoms from Dark Souls. <laughs> like I'm not sure why that was decided. Um, but yeah, I, I think we've already said enough about the kind of the quirky ones. I like I liked I liked them, but I do have a couple of things down um, for for the actual original, the RE2 side of things, like, mm. other, other than it being, like, the pace was wow, um, I was, yeah, being rocked back back and forward. Did you guys notice that they switched Ben's and Brian Ein's death around? Oh, they're doing the uh, Leon A, Claire B route games. Oh, is that uh, what it is? Yeah, it's the alternate route, to the point oh. where the tyrant gets killed in its first encounter, I'm pretty sure. Doesn't oh. actually transform. Okay, I... I Probably not done that one then, but yeah, okay. Then that, that then I have no other criticisms other than the pacing. Again, like the 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 artwork was amazing in issue two. Again, like you know, I got what was happening. I love the spe- uh, specifically uh, the Die Hard Barry uh, comic. I liked. I I love a page where they only have three panels and it's like very widescreen and you can just see them shooting at the zombies. It gives a really good perspective. Um, to what's going on and yeah it was a bit it was it wasn't really barry for me but i appreciate it for what it was mm. my only note that i haven't covered is uh it's crazy how much resident evil 2 media has birkin talking while he's in his early g forms and yelling out for sherry considering that he doesn't do it in the original game you know it's in dark side it's in the remake uh it's in the comic even of all things it doesn't do it in the game to talk I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a wild card in here for you at this point, because it might well be that they had seen RE what what is now RE one point five where yeah. it does. Yeah, I think uh, it probably and also has gorillas to tie into the zoo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. And now, reading the file Evacuation Order from Resident Evil Outbreak File Two. N7 Lionheart. You can follow on Twitter at N7 underscore Lionheart. To the citizens of Raccoon City, this is an important bulletin from the Raccoon City Police Department. Incidents of riots and looting are being reported around the city at an alarming frequency. We are doing all that we can to bring the city under control and quell the riots, but we recommend the citizens evacuate the area to ensure their safety. We are dispatching helicopters to the following locations. Please bring proper ID and a symbol here. Place, zoo, front gate, tram terminal. Time, today at 10 a.m., 3 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m., tentative schedule. This area will soon be cordoned off, so civilians are advised to disperse immediately. Please follow all orders and above all, remain calm. Raymond Douglas, Raccoon City Police Department. Okay, let's move along to issue three. September 1998, this one came out. Three more stories. (laughs) Wolf Hunt, which is the werewolf attack, of course, that takes place before Resident Evil 1. It was was written by Ted Adams. 
Danger Island, which is a sort of jungle-based adventure featuring two original characters written by Chris Oprisco, and Dead Air, which is Zombies on a Plane, starring Chris Barry and Jill, written by Ted Adams, and is the beginning of a three-story sort of arc. Um, James, I'm going to throw it to you first on this one. Uh, these are all brand... We, we don't have any sort of adapted material for this one. These are all original stories. Uh, what did you like the most about issue three, or not oh, at all? Man. I, this is like, this is like, um, what you call it? This is like, uh, guilty pleasures. This. <laughs> like, because there was a lot of, there's a lot of cool, freaking cool monster designs in this one. Like the mm. big moray eel monster. Dumbish. Oh man. <laughs> I was like, yes. And the Venus flytrap. Yeah. Like, give us more of that, please. Mm. Um, the, like the biggest criticism I have is that they, but it's not. It's also not criticism because we've also criticized the pacing, right? But they are very, in a way, succinct little stories, sure, right? And yeah. there isn't really a big conclusion to them, right? And I think they were designed specifically, you know, for an open-ended, in an open-ended format, so you mm-hmm. know anybody could roll off them. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Shoji said in chat that you know, the first story uh, inspired. Uh, Resident Evil Village, for instance, you know, entirely um, possible, entirely possible. Yeah, which is a short story about is it Jill and Barry? Yeah, Jill and Barry. Yes. Um, you know, someone a kid gets killed, and Jill and Barry have to basically investigate, and then they find out it's literally a werewolf. And um, yeah, there's some little like nods to um, lots of umbrella and stuff during that story. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then there's like the 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 the, the <laughs> there, there were some problems with this one, but at the same time, it had a freaking moray eel monster on it. <laughs> like, it had a man being a man, and it had a woman being a woman in the 90s. Yeah. Like, um, which was problematic. And then we have <laughs> Dr. Birkin at the end. <laughs> Bursting through the door. Just needed a moustache to twirl, didn't he? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you thought you had lived yet. <laughs> it was just... It was so funny, but at the same time, I loved it. Um, yeah, I really did love it. And then we got the um, then we got the uh, the first in. Well, it's kind of been ongoing ish, but this is. I feel like this is where they really hooked in um, the kind of connection to the next two issues with the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with the journey that Chris, uh, Claire, and uh, Barry. Oh, sorry, yeah, Chris. Who oh, is it? Who is it? Yeah, it's Chris Jill and Barry. Chris Jill and Barry. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, and like I, I like this story. I like where it goes, mm. um, and I like that they spent time on it. Because um, and it's also, <laughs> I think I remember saying when me and Steve used to play, uh, when we played Resident Evil, that um, I just want to know what Chris got up to in Europe. <laughs> you know, and- oh boy, James, <laughs> he, he did some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I made my own head cannon that he went to Europe to bang some babes. <laughs> um, but in fact, he didn't bang any babes. He was just on a plane, uh, which had zombies on it, and yep. no Samuel Jackson. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think out of all of them, I mean, maybe the fifth comes in. But I think out of all of them, this is my favorite one, just because of how hmm. it's a, it's got original stories in it, and they're really wild, right? But at the same time, it's got s- some awesome monsters in it. I actually, to be fair, as much as I think this might be 
the weirdest one. I also think it, I, I would agree it's one of the better ones. As much as I loved issue one, what it did in terms of being really close to the source material, especially compared to this. Uh, but in terms of the stories, I thought they were uh, paced quite well compared to some of the other stuff we'd seen before. Um, the werewolf thing is super dumb, but I enjoyed it as a story more than anything from the previous issue because it had a clear beginning, middle and end, even if that <laughs> did include, for some reason, the stars decided Jill has to go undercover as a student to figure this out. Like, okay, <laughs> that's the first decision. Like, that's Barry the first was her dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not new information though, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's and the same thing with the Jungle Story. You know, it's it was entertaining because it has a beginning, middle and an end with a moustache twirling back and as you guys have said. Uh, Sharon, how do you feel about issue three? I mean, at this point, it's it's all the reasons why I don't read comics. Um, <laughs> uh, no, to be fair, like the the werewolf thing was dumb. It was yeah. something from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, because um, yeah, that's what was popular at the time. Mm. Um, the plane thing kind of works because that for me, the plane thing actually kind of felt more Resident Evil because it is the the ultimate thing of it takes a commonplace thing that you can actually. Imagine For sure. and then adds like this traumatic element of it of oh no now there are zombies here okay mm. that's not good and it kind of fits um, you know an adventure island or whatever it's called is is kind of functional for its own reasons but I have to echo James that you're always a thing of beauty um, <laughs> just makes me that that is so magnificent for a moment I was like you are almost as cool as a gamma you're almost <laughs> as cool as a hunter gamma you're not quite there but you're almost as cool as a hunter gamma. It's very frog-like, uh, which is weird because yeah. they said it was an eel. Maybe I don't understand eels properly. I, I, I love the frog bros. But it, yeah, exactly, no, it was, right? No, I, yeah, it, it was... It, it's fun, like, in its own way. Like, don't Again, as I said before, don't take it seriously. It's mm-hmm. a good indication of the sort of stuff that happens. If, if anything, it's a good indication of what happens with Resident Evil at some point, sort of, you know, RE3 onwards, where... where you kind of just start getting people just go, hey, let's do this thing in Resident Evil, and Capcom seem to go, cool. <laughs> like, you know, doesn't doesn't seem to have any rules anymore so just do whatever you want and mm. this is an early indicator of that I guess mm, I've got one of those certainly coming up uh, in my notes for the next issue but yeah, uh, yeah the, the, the frog with the G-virus eye thing is, is incredible uh, Steve, what are your highlights and lowlights on this one? Okay, I, I echoing pretty much everybody else uh, but I, I enjoyed Wolf Hunt for its slightly buffy tone and mm. uh, Jill being very out of her, the, you know, not not her depth, but very like, I don't really want to do this. Why am I here? Why are we doing this? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, the way it all shakes out. She did an RE1 alternate outfit, which is a great nod. Yeah. And it's a story focused around just her, because it feels like the dudes get all the leading story stuff in this thing. Uh, not to be super complaining about that. But then you've got what, what appears to be a caricature, caricature of Bruce Campbell doing stuff on the island from Jurassic Park with an eel monster that yes I'll say is pretty cool but also has some casual sexism and racism yes uh, it does yeah. which, which isn't great again it's the 90s but that doesn't excuse the fact that it's there I do I can't believe the nonsense of Birkin just appearing going and shooting him <laughs> it's like that that is 90s TV show cartoon nonsense like that that would be like in, in the hypothetical TV show version of Resident Evil that, that's what happens, uh, <laughs> definitely. And as for the setup for the three-part arc, I thought it was fine. I kind of wish we knew who uh, generic bad guy sunglasses man with a ponytail was. 
Trent. Or overall, I don't think that gets resolved, <laughs> does it? The self and the fact that it literally ends with uh, them having to whack the zombie pilot is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think like, oh no, what are they going to do now? And I kind of feel like Barry needs a man bun. Uh, there's something about seeing Barry in this three-part arc and he's got slightly longer hair to his mullet kind of screams for this man needs a man bun. <laughs> like a venom snake one, not a top knot. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Overall, I, I didn't hate this one, but the, the, there is a clangor in the middle, uh, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Fair. I, I really need like Steve's evil Dr. Birkin laugh as my text tone or something, because that's glorious. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I, I agree that um, this is the dual Valentine celebration episode a little bit, and she gets to do the Buffy the Vampire Slayer thing, even if it ends with her being like, it was a werewolf, but I won't talk about it because no one will believe me. But in uh, the third story on the plane, which shout out to that idea, by the way, I just wanted to mention, as you said, Sherwin, it's a really cool concept. And that's why it's one of the best parts of Resi 6, that like five minutes you get to spend on an actual plane uh, actually put some atmosphere into that game. But uh, it's a really cool setting, and you get to see Jill straight up beating the crap out of a zombie with her fists, which is nice. <laughs> and Barry setting fire to one on a plane. That's, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, yeah, overall, stupid, fun issue. Uh, yeah, good stuff. I was going to say, doesn't like Jill or Chris literally just chuck a fire extinguisher at a zombie and explode yes. his head? Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. God. Glorious. I, uh, I also want to, uh, this is not super important, but I, <laughs> the lady in the second issue calls out a blue herb. Yes, she, she does, yeah. It, she calls it a Mycanthius mavericus. Um, which means absolutely nothing in Latin, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That's why we pay you the big bucks, James. <laughs> Issue number uh, four. To, to be fair, James, James is the person who actually took... You can tell the DM, the experienced DM in here, because right. James actually took notes and remembered the name of the zookeeper. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Issue number four was released in December of 1998. Uh, it features three more stories. Night Stalkers, which is Leon taking on a legion of Batmen. Uh, it is mobbing time. <laughs> yes, oh, no. thank you. Written by Chris Aprisco. Special Delivery, which is uh, Umbrella hired men dropping BOWs on Umbrella targets and then seeing it being covered up, which was written by Mark Mossman. And Zombies Abroad, the continuation of Zombies on a Plane, uh, where Chris, Jill and Barry make it to Europe, which was written by Ted Adams. Uh, Steve, I don't think you've started us off one of these yet, so what's your immediate thoughts on issue four? Uh, how did you feel about it? Oh, wow. Um, well, a, a smorgasbord of quality. Uh, <laughs> this one's like... The first episode is obviously Leon doing his own little side adventure against Batman, uh, G-Virus transmutation Batman for some evil scientist. I think it's Dr. Kalos or something equally time splitters related. <laughs> and uh, it feels directly like this is the most, if there was ever a cartoon, this is the most side episode cartoony nonsense. He just parachutes into the building, I think. Uh, no, sorry. He parachutes into the place and then eventually has to sneak in after having been already captured. He escapes and then sabotages the technology and kills them all. And there's some there's some silly stuff in this one. I think a child dies in the opening couple of pages as well, so it's pretty grim. Mm. The second story, I feel like, is it meant to be a lead-in or a hover-around Resident Evil 2 where the guys are dropping those pods? Yeah, feels like it. 
it's it's very much a like you know couriers having a rubbish day and then they get screwed over by umbrella at the end. Uh, it, it's nice, but it's only like it feels very fillery, and you kind of saw saw how it was going. But my god, the, the final episode, well, the, the final episode of this comic is uh, well. If you like seeing zombies in the UK, you see like beef eater zombies. You see like is it the the is it the House of Parliament and other daft stuff? They go I, on a, I was a waiting massive, for Queenie like, herself to pop out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they they land the plane. Spoilers, and then they go like literally on a witch hunt around Europe to every single landmark ever, which is where of course Umbrella would be hiding their secret labs. And, uh, you know, we get the Eiffel Tower in France and then I think it's a random windmill in Holland. Uh, and then we just, a random Oktoberfest in Germany. We can't think of landmarks for Germany, apparently. Uh, it's, it's, it's stupid, wacky nonsense. And I can't help but appreciate the fact that, all right, we, we are going all in on this. And I think it ends on, like, the best panel ever of just Barry's giant chin in front of a castle. Excuse me, Steve. Uh, it's, it's the Deguya... Windmill, okay. Oh, okay. And that's, that's very, very famous windmill. Is it a real place, James? Don't you be dissing Amsterdam's windmill scheme? <laughs> yeah. Like, crucially, crucially, the Americans running this, they think they're all literally in the same town. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered that. It's like to them, Europe is apparently the UK, France, Netherlands, and Germany, and you can all get to like between them on the same night. By the looks of it, it does. It well, does yeah, make it's it, it does down road down M one yeah, yeah. down to road. It does make me wonder if there are zombies wearing clogs. Are they faster? Uh, they're faster. They're probably not. But are they more? Are you safer if zombies wearing clogs? Do you hear them coming more? Or does it sound? Or does it sound like? Or does yeah? Does the sound echo off the walls, and it sounds like you're being chased by a horde of them? Oh there's man! Actually only two. That's terrifying. Hey, clogs, pure evil. <laughs> okay, all right, James. I see the link you've put in the uh, the live chat. Okay, the the Deguya windmill is a thing. But just relegating Germany to just Oktoberfest, which is an event, not a place. I can't defend is a bit that. Mean. Yeah, I can't defend that. And also, that castle is Barry's house. Um, <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Yes. Uh, yeah, the last story is complete. It's just zombies in EU monuments, also one-liners. There's a bit where Barry takes out the head of the Venus de Milo, by the way. We need to point that oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> like it's no big deal. Okay, sure. Um, this is the, the, the first story on this issue is the one I was talking about where it's like, do you know what? This actually fits with Resident Evil in the sense that it feels like proto RE4 with Leon fighting Batman in the desert. You know, yeah. and it's funny, Steve, you mentioned Bruce Campbell twice already, but I literally wrote down in my notes for this, he pretty much becomes Ashley Williams for this story. <laughs> Which, again, is also kind of accurate to, accurate to RE4. There's a moment where he puts a knife in the mouth of one of the bat things and then kicks it through his head into another one which is probably the coolest moment in comic book history. Uh, but unfortunately, is then followed up by a big question. He has to like, infiltrate this umbrella base and then blow up the machine that controls the bats. And then he leaves and there's an airstrike. So why did he have to blow up the machine if it was going to get airstriked? I don't. I didn't quite understand the theory on that one, but there you Just go. Just being thorough, maybe. <laughs> sure. Uh, Showing any highlights and lowlights on issue four for you? Do you know, as part of the Resident Evil One Kickstarter campaign, I wrote a story, uh, which is kind of fun. 
uh, was never intended to be canon, obviously. We had uh, a floating person who's not a member of Stars, but somehow is and everything else. And at the end of that story, um, Barry, whilst flying a helicopter, shoots the tyrant <laughs> out the side of the helicopter with a magnum, which coincidentally doesn't somehow burst Rebecca's eardrums, even though she's sitting next to him at the time. And the tyrant subsequently falls to the earth, crashes down, and all this other stuff, and Barry somehow doesn't lose control of the helicopter. And I remember writing it at the time and going... That feels like a touch far-fetched. I mean, it is Barry. He gets his one-liner in before he does it. But at the same time, it feels a touch far-fetched. Have I pushed this too far? <laughs> Reading this, I realised my problem is actually quite the opposite. I was nowhere... I was so far short of pushing... You know, of, the, of jumping the shark. It's insane. <laughs> like, at this point, the shark is not even a distant thing in the rear view. It's just so, so, so far beyond these comics at this stage. I mean, I don't know whether they kind of had contract to make four of them and that was it, or whether this killed it, but whether there are more, I don't know. But but this was quite something. I've got nothing else to say for it than that. <laughs> this, this at this point, if there were more to read, I'm afraid I would not. I would have paused at this stage uh, and politely sent you a message saying, please no more. I don't, I don't have to be on the podcast. There is so there is five issues to this one, but I know that the next series is like an ongoing thing. Like they stopped the anthology style and completely changed gears. And I, I'm very curious about that, and I, I'm very curious about why. Obviously, with this being kind of, I don't want to use the word ancient material, but it's 20 years ago now. Um, we won't be able to find that information online very easily. Why, you know, if you track down one of the writers, maybe they know. But uh, I'd be curious to know if if the anthology stories weren't going down quite how they had hoped, uh, and that's why they changed tact. But nonetheless, uh, James, how did you feel about feel about this series of anthologies? I did not like the Batman one, because um, that didn't feel like Leon to me. Okay. Um, like, it's, it's my same criticisms of RE4, to be honest. Like, is that, like, it never feels like I'm playing Leon. Like, even though I love RE4, mm. like, and yeah, it's a cool little, it's about bat people and yeah, but I, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't connect myself to that story as much as I could connect myself to the next one. Cause I really like that yeah. <laughs> little story about these, just two regular Joes just dropping off, you know, oh, we don't ask questions. We're just dropping off capsules. Um, you know, which is very like 90s. I mean, to be honest, even nowadays, you're gonna, you know, big corpo, like not telling the little man what was being, you know, done. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, it was just cool to get a little bit of insight into what was in those canisters. I remember we did what podcast was it? I mentioned like I had a theory about what was in those canisters. (laughs) I can't remember what I said now, it was ages ago, right? But it was cool to see that after discussing that with you guys, like, and then. Seeing that, going, oh, that's a cool little idea. Mm-hmm. Like it's just these like, regular Joes just dropping off, not knowing what they're doing, and then <laughs> it got a little bit silly at the end with the loose ends, you know, thing. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, but I, I, I forgave it because I mean, at this point, I've just read two other issues which are also ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was the final one? The final issue, the Europe adventure. Oh, <laughs> how could I forget? Qu- qu- quiet voice. Oh, the Europe adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Got nothing. It. Yeah. It was just. It was. It was. It was the worst paced story 
in mm. all five of these issues because you're literally teleporting. Like it, I felt like the Benny Hill sa- soundtrack was going on in the background. <laughs> I'd say we're just zooming around Europe. Um, yeah, I d- like we'll go into it into the fifth fifth one, but I have actually have a probably my favorite story of all of them is in the fifth one. But um, yeah, I didn't like this final one either because mm. I just couldn't keep up. Every panel was a different. I, actually, I think they. I think one page had two different locations, and at one point, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You need to catch me up here. I don't know where I am right now." <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I couldn't quite catch up with it. So mm. I didn't. I, yeah, I didn't. I, I couldn't connect with that uh, as much. But yeah, the second one was stand out for me. I am. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you said that. I wanted to put a little bit more respect on that story in the middle there, um, which. It felt more like it belonged in issue one than anything else because it actually felt connected to the actual Resident Evil that we know and love. Um, and amidst all the absolute nonsense on either sides of this comic, for good or worse, uh, this felt at least a little bit more grounded. Like, you know, it's a cool concept of Umbrella's kind of power of dropping things in and then covering it up and the sort of newspaper snippets. You'd see, like, a canister drop and then you'd see a giant plant monster in a building and then... The newspaper would be like, oh, there was a fire here or whatever. It was like, yeah, yeah. Actually, that, that's very Resident Evil. That's very RE1 intro-esque to me, seeing the newspapers come up about bizarre murders. It very much reminded me of that. And it's that's what I liked about issue one is the sort of like outside stories that connected to the to larger one. So I really actually, yeah, I really like that one in the middle here. Um, but it, maybe it did feel out of place because it was so different to this point where we've just balls out, you know, nonsense. <laughs> It it was also like I mean going back to what I said earlier, it was one of those things that you know, it it it's one of those things where um, you can't you know it's it's you can say it's canon if you want to, you know because it hasn't really been explained, you know yeah, fully yeah fully possibly in, in yeah. RE, you know it can't because they even left two whole canisters at the end, you know um, mm. that could be anything right but it's, just, you know it's just nice it could be I mean so much has gone gone on by now that you can refute it. Yeah, I ju- I wonder what like timing wise where it's meant to take place. Like, is are we dropping things into Raccoon City? You know, days before it gets bombed. If so, who's printing those newspapers? But yeah, you could stretch it to fit if you really wanted to. Depending, it might not be Raccoon City. So, yeah. All right, let's uh, let's hop ahead to the final issue for this episode, issue five, which came out in February nineteen ninety nine. Last three stories are, And the Last Shall Be First, written by Chris Prisco, which is about a bullied child who gets his revenge using the G-Virus, Emmy's Bloody Spoon, which tells the event of Emmy's diner in Resident Evil 2, leading right up to the moment that Claire enters, which was written by Ted Abrams, who also wrote the concluding part of the European zombie adventure, which is entitled Kane and Abe. Um, okay, so... I'll so, oh, go for it. Sorry. No, I was just saying that that was very subtle. Cain and Abel, uh, biblical references. Mm. We need them to make our story have weight. <laughs> Maybe. Let's start there then, I think. Um, it had a really cool monster. Did anyone else feel like they missed an entire issue's worth of story? Because suddenly you, <laughs> you open the story and the tyrant's just there and things are happening. Steve, what is going on with this final part of the story? Um, well, yeah, the last issue ends, because I feel like we glazed over it a little, uh, with all of our three heroes, you know, Jill, Chris and Barry in peril in this mysterious castle, 
And then they proceed to blast a monster that has a face that snaps in and over itself and meet a scientist for all of 20 seconds. <laughs> he sets the lab ablaze, buggers off. They fight the monster and they win. And then the most rubbish ending of they just step outside this castle on fire and Claire and Leon with rucksacks just rock up and go, <laughs> you all right? They were also like, like going down the M1, checking out every European <laughs> monument. <laughs> they were just five minutes behind seeing all these shot up beef eaters and people with clogs. Like, it's a bit paced poorly for <laughs> to say it's a three part arc and has therefore had probably the most pages of like you know I don't, I don't want to say screen time but that's the mm. word I'm using. Uh, it's surprising how little story there is and how much action there is to try and uh, placate it. Mm. I like the idea that there is a scientist who's had to experiment on his brother for some reason and has made a monster that's unique to the point when it does the transformation stuff, I can hear the PS1 crunching of Birkin transforming (laughs) in my own head, which is nice. But that goes at such a crazy pace. Uh, Yeah. Especially the ending. That that does me. Where they just Claire's just literally there going, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really have anything to add, to be honest. Uh, it's it it's weird. Um, Emmy's bloody spoon, I think, is the one that you could arguably say is canon. It's about a you know a couple of newlyweds who show up in the city, which apparently isn't on the map. We're not really understand what that's about. There's no reason why that would be the case, but okay. Um, and I guess they're so hungry and or in love that they're oblivious to the fact that an old lady is pouring grease on the cook, <laughs> and then has her throat ripped out. For two um, whole pages, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it goes on a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Again, this is actually, I feel like, an example of something that can fit, but I actually don't care about it at all. I thought it was... It had the stupidness of the other stuff, but I don't want it to be connected to Resident Evil. Thanks, I could do without this one. Um, and also, the first story, I won't necessarily get into it. I'll let someone else do it. Uh, might well be the most interesting in its own strange, twisted way. James, what did you think of issue five? Um, so, so the second story, I know we're avoiding the first story. But I'll talk <laughs> no, about it. We will get there. Um, but the second story, uh, I, I was like invested for a bit. Um, but unlike the issues from issue three, where I felt like the stories were quite well tied up, it felt so sudden. Mm. Um, like I, I get, it didn't feel like it was filling any kind of niche for Claire in any way. Like, not niche, sorry, filling any story for Claire in any way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I don't... It, Like, I was invested in it, but then it just stopped suddenly with Claire. I want to see Claire kick some butt. Mm. You know, I, want, I wanted to see that, but we didn't get to see that. Um, yeah, the, the the third story and the, continu- and the conclusion um, to the Euro trip... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was. I like the 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 monster, the way that its face breaks up. Um, that's Abe, right? The monster is Abe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's um, called Kane T Virus. Right. Uh, yeah. And Abe <laughs> is the the monster, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, monster looks really cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, just you know, <laughs> again, it was a very. It was like a, just stopping at a brick wall as uh, Claire and Leon got off the nine C bus. <laughs> you know, um, to meet everybody. Small world, isn't it? Fancy seeing you just going down to the local gaming centre. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. Um, yeah, uh, couldn't. 
that only it was only I was only invested in those couple of panels where I saw the monster transform and then they had like their little shootout. Oh, mm-hmm. there was another actually cool thing that they should have done in previous editions. Um, they used the countdown timers really well. Yeah, that was true. Yeah, like true. that is yeah. really good for pacing. If you tell the viewer how much time has gone by, right, with just five seconds, like in each panel. Like, you're getting the pace of it. You know how fast we're going. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that would have helped in some issues and some stories here. But, <laughs> yeah, I really like that touch. Now, mm-hmm. the first story is my favorite story of all of these these comics. It was so cool. Like, I mean, I think we can all relate to school being crap, right, and everything. But this kid, you know, uh, you know, just, I mean, it's comic what books. What if Peter Parker was also... The Joker. <laughs> kind of. His his transformation was really cool. Um, I also love that Backstreet Boys is now canon in Resident Evil. <laughs> um, because of this issue. Um, yeah, and him get you know, we all love a bit of revenge. Him getting his revenge back and, you know, having like a, a, a like a someone who's meant to be his center and I can't remember the girl's name. Um, the girl's name is meant to be, but that Ruthie? doesn't work. Is that right? I, Ruthie, yeah. I fully expected him to back down. Mm. Recover your humanity, Dexter. <laughs> exactly, because uh, no. I, I fully expected that, <laughs> but then they just didn't. But here's the thing. I actually kind of didn't like that part of it. So the story basically is he gets bullied. He's a really gifted sort of scientist kid. Um, he winds up in a warehouse where he stumbles across a tyrant in a tube and just reacts like it's totally normal uh, and then steals um, a sample of something, puts it in his blood. Oh, it's the G-Virus. He kills all of his bullies. Um, and then Umbrella basically de-infect him and, re- and are like, we're going to employ you. There are no good guys in this story, just heads and a monster. I was like, oh, really? I love that. It's oh, I just thought it was hopeless. <laughs> do, do, you know, oh, nah. do you know why I love that? I loved it, and we're going to mention aliens again. I loved it because there was an aliens story in the early nineties where someone was it called, called Dr- just heads in a monster. <laughs> 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 called heads in a monster. No, it was. I can't remember the. I think it. No, I can't remember the name. Anyway, um, it's about this guy. Who basically, he he was in a hive and he took over. Right, because the xenomorphs are basically sick, and he basically helped the queen. Well, pretended to help the queen, right, to become stronger, but he didn't. He poisoned all of them, and he was a. D- he went back, like he poisoned all the xenomorphs, including the queen. Then he went went back with the company, and he basically, um, he basically, uh, like worked for them and got other xenomorphs in. He was <laughs> testing chemicals. It reminded me so much of that story, which is one of the most prolific alien stories i was like this guy is just the dr church of the resident evil universe <laughs> and but i think it- <laughs> is this going to go anywhere is the question with the next comics like they left it wide open on purpose which is i suppose intriguing and i'll give it this it actually feels more like horror than any other of these stories but, yeah uh, yeah in a way it reminds me of reanimator like a scientist type that goes and experiments mm-hmm. and it goes wrong and they revel in it but uh there's, there's, there's just this element that it feels like, what if Peter Parker was a complete git? <laughs> and, you know, the, the, not to say that the bullies aren't totally in the wrong as well. Of course they are. The only good person is probably the friend who tries to talk him out of it. Uh, but that monster form uh, is, is striking. I'd love to see that kind of yeah. face in RE Engine. <laughs> as strange as it sounds, there's just something dementedly grotesque about it. And the fact that it's obviously echoes of Birkin, yes. 
it's the more, way that it's it felt more bony. Gaunt. Yeah, it feels well. like thinner and more gaunt, but mm. still ripped in the scariest places <laughs> and uh, totally more cognizantly aware than William ever was. I mean, obviously they're reveling in their new power. It's a it's a it's a villain origin story, isn't it? And I wouldn't say it's the strongest thing ever, but this could easily fit in like any horror continuity kind of thing. It involves mutagenic viruses or whatever. And oh, for fit. sure. Yeah. Yeah, the finished image where he's smiling at the prospect of joining these evil people who he's used to basically get a super well a super form and then lose to get revenge is uh, it's different. You know, it's not Albert Wesker evil, but it's close enough. Yeah. Um, considering that you said please don't invite me back for any more comic book episodes Sherwin how did you feel about issue 5 uh, do you know I haven't realised I managed to completely blank uh, issue 5 it's, <laughs> uh, and it doesn't happened. sound like it sounds like I've, uh, I've missed well it sounds like I missed nothing at all and then everything at the same time <laughs> um, yeah I, I, I'm afraid to say whatever it was I just completely blanked I, I think I might have started reading the uh, the the um the story with the bully kid and just completely checked out at that point and maybe that's why <laughs> but I thought it was part of episode four and it was just kind of met, lost in the smorgasbord of mm. adventure that was in there. Well, um, thinking about sort of the context of the comics at the time, then I suppose my first question is, yeah, you were a young Resident Evil fan in late ninety eight, early ninety nine. You picked these up as they come out. How would you have felt about it at the time? Uh, and after reading all five issues, or four and a half in, in one case, uh, would you have wanted more of it? Um, Sherwin, why don't we start with you? Would I have wanted more of this? No. But then I'm not <laughs> the target audience. But then, to be fair, I'm not the target audience. Mm. So I think um, for me, this is, there's, there's, this is like, um, it's very 90s. It's yeah. very. Yeah naive it's very innocent in its own way it's it's what things were then much less sophisticated understanding of of mediums and other things for me there's there's a real missed opportunity for two reasons with these um and it sounds like that was possibly addressed in the next series collection whatever the appropriate term is i guess we'll find the out. first yeah the, the first one is that i think they would have been much better off to establish a story arc and then just develop that slowly over several episodes and several mm. kind of stories and whatever else. And you could have had, yeah, you could have different characters and different stories, uh, different scenarios, kind of weaving together. If you still want to use the tri-story kind of format, um, there's lots of bits and pieces there where they, and that would have given her a lot more depth and a lot more ability to sort of explore in a much more satisfactory way, um, and actually really take something and, and make your own take on what Resident Evil was, or just even explore something in the smallest way, uh, and kind of really expand on what that was the second part i think is is different to that which is and this would be the other way if you want to do the small fragmentary kind of stories i feel like there's a real missed opportunity here where if they like the best things for kind of the fat for the fan base is when you create you take something that's a, a known thing and then you kind of create a story around it which gets it makes them excited it makes them interested like again as we said before the bravo team Building backstory around what you know, what Forrest and Joseph do on a day off, kind of you know, why is it that Kenneth has got test tubes? Those sort of stuff. Like <laughs> you could you could build Science. that, right? You could build those stories, 
and you could make that sort of stuff around this and almost give like something where there's real value add to the fans where they read this and go oh that's really cool don't care if it's canon this is a really cool story about a character that I didn't see much of in the run up to Resident Evil or it tells their final moments or whatever else in the mansion whatever way you want to build that up you could take any random like you could take any random character and then really build around it um, you know, seen anything? You know, taking any scene, you could build something with Kendo, for example. I know they could kind of touch on Kendo in this, but not in any really big way. I'm reminded of um, there's a Star Wars uh, series of books, not comics, actual novels. Um, there's three of them. One is the Tales from Mos Eisley Cantina. One of them is Tales of the Bounty Hunters, and the third one is Tales from Jabba's Palace. And and these are a collection of short stories. And what they did with those is they took the three scenes in question. So one was from Star Wars, uh, then Empire, and then Jedi. And they kind of went right. So who's in this? Who's in the cantina? And then a series of authors basically pick a character hmm. from that one of the one of the, one of the aliens, and then basically build into the story. How did that person get there, or what did they do after, like you know, the scene in the movie that happened? Hmm. And they kind of build it around that. This is what that could have been. This this is these comics really could have taken that and done something really really cool and interesting that would actually echo down the ages and people would go wow actually that's pretty fun and instead they kind of went to nineties wackiness of just throw this out with random werewolves and zombies on a plane and adventure island and stuff and that is a little bit unfortunate. I am in total agreement really as much as I enjoyed them for their trashy ridiculousness in places I think that if I'd have picked it up at the time. I would feel would have felt that it was a huge missed opportunity to build things out because that's the thing I liked about issue one. As I say, they, they weren't massively important. Some of the choices they made, and I think Sharon, you said near the beginning that the Wesker's briefing thing was a bit all over the place, uh, but it was probably something where I went, "That's a cool con. That's a cool concept." It just didn't really pan out. Kind of like the Emmy's bloody spoon one where Claire turns up. It's like, oh, it's a cool concept to be like. Let's explore the diner a little bit more just before the events of Resident Evil 2, but it doesn't really contribute anything. Uh, if some more, if some stories had actually added stuff to the lore and explored some interesting places, uh, overall I would have enjoyed the series a lot more than the very sudden left turn into absolute mania that it became. It was enjoyable in its own right for being absolutely insane, but I kind of saw that coming considering that nobody talks about these comics or gives them particularly any weight. Um, I kind of figured that they were going to be non-canon in the most extreme sense. Uh, but I am interested to see what comes next. I do wonder, uh, with it being a continuing series, if it's a direct follow-on of some kind, are we going to have some stuff that tied back to this, or is it going to be like a complete reset? So I'm intrigued to see more of what Wildstorm did, uh, but this first taste wouldn't have been what I would have picked regardless of how I felt about it overall. Uh, James, how do you feel about Resident Evil, the official comic book magazine? Would you have enjoyed it at the time if you were an RE fan back in the day? I th- Ooh. Would would 12, 13-year-old James enjoy these comic books? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wasn't really into comic books back then. I was into like, I was into like FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer. <laughs> um, Both of them, wow. Yeah, like I was, yeah, I was, I was ahead of my time, apparently. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, but I feel like because I've there was like a big gap, so like I caught up on a lot of like '90s alien stuff, and then I stopped because I had peers to look up to, 
then I like found myself in my late noughties. So like if if they were they released now, I would definitely get them. And I don't think I'd be disappointed in them. Mm. Like, you know, I, I feel like the artwork has been done very, very well for them. Each panel is very expressive, um, very well done. The colors are so good. Contrasts are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love all the artwork. Um, the stories are a bit are a bit weak. My two favorites being like the two normal gents in a helicopter and the uh, story one issue five, right? But I feel like similar to what Sherwin said, it would have been really cool. I mean, in, I like looking at kind of uh, filler stuff. Right, that adds some substance. Like the the guys in the helicopter, they added some substance for me for the story mm. uh, of Resident Evil as a whole. It would have been nice to see just you know, <laughs> to random a random scientist in a lab. What do they get up to? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, because apparently, because <laughs> as because as we know, like you know, not everybody that works at Umbrella, and that's kind of the power of Umbrella. Uh, not everybody is a bad guy. Yeah. You know, some people just work in there and they're just trying to make their day-to-day and feed their family and get a mortgage, right? I love learning about characters who are just normal people having normal lives in a huge adventure like this and what their kind of um what their kind of take it is on everything, which is why I like that S- the most recent SD Perry uh novel that we read that we read. I can't remember the name of the guy, but he was just a normal electrician and Yes. Like, uh, underworld, I, yeah. Yeah, that's why I love that because it's the same thing. Because it's just a normal guy; like he mm. didn't deserve what he got, but that's what the that's what the company's doing to you. Sometimes stories aren't about the heroes, you know. Sometimes they're about the small cogs, and sometimes they're about the origins of something even more evil, right? Which is why I like that the first story. Mm. Um, the rest of them, they brought some things to the table, such as monster design. And really cool monsters and some really cheesy lines, which are very Resident Evil. Um, but yeah, I would like to see more a day in the life people in the next. I'd like to see more expansion on that. Um, some, and I would love to see more of, on this kid, this genius kid uh, becoming a villain. Um, the rest of them, I can, you know, I'm not really bothered about. <laughs> Uh, Steve, final thoughts on this round of Resident Evil comics. Would you have picked them up at the time uh, and would you have enjoyed them at the time? I think uh, younger me would have popped a gasket with how non-canon they are, uh, <laughs> realistically. you know. But nowadays, I can see them as the dumb fun they are. The very like side story stuff is probably the biggest draw for me. Anything that is quote-unquote nearing the canon is a bit, eh, you know, the, 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 there is a part of me that still gets annoyed when stuff that should happen doesn't always frame differently. But like stuff with like Dexter Whitlam and uh, John, you know, I, I thought was pretty fun. And dare I say, even Zookeeper Travis, like getting his uh, his adventure on and then getting murked when he's sleep is kind of fun. Uh, I think looking at it from a uh, a fun anthological kind of aspect of side stories and what ifs in the Resident Evil universe, it's a lot better than going at it for you know supplemental lore material. Uh, I, I actually, you know, I don't think it's my kind of aesthetic for this, but I do appreciate it. And like I said, if, if I can like headcanon it as some kind of '90s TV show, it just clicks better for me. Yeah. And overall, I, like 
it's not the bestest thing I've ever read ever. You know, it's not it's not going to win any Pulitzer prizes, ladies and gentlemen. But you know, the fact that you get Barry Burton spawning a flamethrower from Hammer Space and then jumping off of one rooftop into a pool on another should be a draw for anybody. You know, <laughs> just read it, read his lines in the RE One voices, and you'd be well away anytime he's on screen. <laughs> oh, on page, Steve, on page. Uh, so yeah, I didn't I didn't regret my time with it. I know a lot of people are going to be negative about it, but overall, I had a fun time reading these. The uh, thing, I just, I, I don't think they'll be the best thing ever made. Yeah. The thing is, I'm about to say something that now I'm going to regret saying out loud because people are going to ask for it to become a reality. But uh, Robbie Aaron, the voice of Barry and Resident Evil, the beginning, his fantastic Barry Yerde impression. We need to get him to basically just read that comic, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What That's a great idea. YouTube. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Okay, well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our Patreons, and our listeners. Join the First Aid Spray Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprayPod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash FA spray pod for as little as $1 a month. On our next episode, we look towards Resident Evil's future. I can say depending on when we record determines the order of these two, but our next two episodes will be a return to the Pueblo for a look back at all the modes we didn't cover in our Resident Evil 4 podcast, Mercenary, Separate Ways, Assignment Ada. And additionally, of course, we will be reviewing the first season of Netflix's Resident Evil that releases worldwide in just three and a half weeks. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Siniac underscore 123. Steve at FB Steve was taken. James is at Moist Owler OFF. And Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. turn my fan off for this hope you appreciate that i do and i understand your pain completely <laughs> i have to have the window open so there may be birdsong in this episode but oh well, i'm uh, know, deep that in, is better than a fan i am deep in conditioning for gen con territory so basically oh, just sweat like a pig in that stuff. way i can yeah. survive indianapolis <laughs> my question james is where's the cat where's rowan hiding rowan is hiding upstairs underneath my uh underneath my game's table oh okay yeah. massive nerd apparently <laughs> yeah we used to let her play D&D but she was eating all the minis <laughs> same <laughs> well, those, uh, exactly those, those bard sung doors they look like chocolate that's the problem they really do <laughs>